0: Okay, so um, the video this morning is about 30 minutes, so I want to get into it quickly so that we'll at least have a few minutes for discussion afterwards. But before we do that, I just want to read one text. So I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn over there or you can just listen. It's just a couple of verses. So Uh, I just want this to kind of be the lens through which we hear and see uh, uh, Ray Vanderlyn's teachings this morning. this is the end of Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this morning, uh, Ray is going to talk about uh, the temptation, the testing of Jesus in the desert and kind of draw some parallels to the Exodus story as well. So without further ado, we'll go into this.
1: Moses went up again to God, just Moses and God on that mountain. He was there this time 40 days, 40 days without eating and drinking, 40 in the Bible is a number that represents testing and preparing. 40 days without eating and drinking, the Jewish tradition holds, is the absolute limit. Moses was willing to go right to the limit to experience the time with God, to be taught and trained. There's another person in the Bible who spent 40 days in the desert being tested. Come with me. Let's walk a bit in his sandal prints as he, too experiences complete obedience to his creator. for quite some time this morning in the first desert wilderness in our story that we can say Jesus also hiked in. Uh, He crossed the desert on the way to Egypt as a baby and then back again but I don't know that he was old enough to hike in that desert but here we're in the wilderness of Judea and we've made our way up along a canyon and out into the desert I'm not saying this is exactly where he went but he was in this same wilderness Now I'd like to think a bit about Jesus as desert for a few minutes. Jesus' relationship with desert. We've built a huge story of God that involved desert. You could think of Jesus as our desert. Think about it this way. In the Old Testament, God said, out of Egypt I called my son, referring to Israel. Jesus, God's only begotten Son, was called out of Egypt. Or think about it this way He was the Passover Lamb. Died on Passover, the feast of the Exodus into the desert. Or how about this one? He is the prophet like Moses who was to come. Moses came out of the desert, Exodus. He is the light like the cloud at night for the Israelites. He calls himself manna from heaven. That's an exodus desert image. He is the high priest and the sacrifice, a system that was set up at Sinai in the desert. He is the snake on a pole, he says, which of course was desert. He calls himself the bridegroom, his people the bride. We celebrated that on a mountain that could have been Sinai. He calls himself the Word, and we learned that Word and Desert went closely together because shepherds lead by Word. And he calls himself the Living Water, which is clearly a desert image. So you could say Jesus thought of himself, or the Bible presents Jesus as our desert, or desert for us. He does all those things that the desert did for Israel, he does for us. I think that's a beautiful picture. There's another one. You could say Jesus in the desert. And that's the one I'd like to think a bit about this morning. He was tested, as I prefer the translation, most say tempted, in the wilderness of Judea. So as your eyes sweep around you, it's pretty typical here. So this is what he would have seen for that period of time. But let's unpackage the beginning of that story a little bit and ask ourselves, What was the story of Jesus' temptation? (coughs) It starts down below the Jordan river. He's baptized. Now, go with me a moment in your mind. We've been unpacking a God story. We noted it started at creation with chaos, water, a hovering spirit, and order out of chaos. Then we noted it went back into chaos because of sin. Then came the flood. We again had chaos. We have a dove mentioned, though no spirit. And out of the ark, after the flood, came a new family to start over again. Didn't do real well, went back into chaos almost immediately. Chaos now became a kingdom. The Hebrews became part of the chaos, so we discovered God came back, and there was chaos. His ruach, his spirit, hovered over the Red Sea, divided it. Out of the Red Sea came a new creation. Israel. Their mission? Get out there and address the chaos and bring shalom. They did well sometimes and failed miserably others. Now I think God is at it again because we again have chaos. The Jordan River, I think, symbolizing that. We have the hovering ruach, dove, dove and spirit this time, out of the water came Jesus. And what happened? Demons cast out, diseases healed, chaos defeated, and Shalom came. And so it is as if God said, let's do it one more time. This time, not with my son, the Hebrews, but with my son, Jesus. Now, if you notice, in each case, maybe even including the flood, the very first thing that happens after the order comes out of chaos is temptation or testing. Adam and Eve had it. I think Noah had it too, though it isn't called that. And he failed, of course, became drunk, and you know the story. Israel faced it three times immediately after their Red Sea. So I think when Jesus came up out of the Jordan River and that voice declared, this is my son, I love him, knowing what his mission was going to be, I think Jesus expected, given how God's story works, I'm going to be tested or tempted. And that's exactly how the story unfolds. And he comes to this desert, Come. Let's go just a bit further and sit together and look at the story of his wilderness testing, Come. for 40 days in this desert. Imagine a lonely figure making his way along the path. Maybe he's got a stick like Moses. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't refer to that in the Bible, but it's very possible when you hike here. And imagine him wandering alone in the desert for 40 days and nights. Now, if what we said is true, that is that God's great story of creation chaos and now restoring order to chaos is true, then we can say two things. One, the kingdom of God must be happening, or the kingdom of heaven, as they would have called it in Jesus' day. Remember, that starts with God's finger, God's hand, great power in Egypt. At least that's how they understood it. And then people who saw that power, like at the Red Sea, fell on their knees and called him Lord and King and accepted his kingship. And then God said, that's great. Now come to Sinai, and I will show you how I want to be your king on an active basis in your life. So if Jesus came to continue that kingdom, and I'm sure he did because that was John the Baptist's message, and it was also the message Jesus will preach, then we should expect to see those things. a powerful hand of God, maybe that was the voice at baptism, The people who said, wow, that's amazing. He must be the Messiah. And now God's saying, yes, and I need you as the new Israel, as the one who brings the kingdom. I need you to learn, like Israel did, to obey me. Now, that troubles some, to (coughs) think about Jesus learning to obey. Fortunately, for my point of view, there's a Bible passage, Hebrews 5, which says Jesus learned obedience by suffering. And this, certainly for him, was a time of suffering. The second thing we can say is, if this is God now unfolding the great climax chapter of his kingdom, then when Jesus came up out of the water, he had to know the cross was on the path ahead of him. And it seems to me that's the devil's point, the evil one here in the desert. In a sense, the evil one is saying, okay, you're the son of God. In fact, it can be translated that way in the story. In our English, we sometimes say, if you are the son of God, then turn stones to bread. You could translate it, since you are the son of God, turn stones to bread. I like that latter better, because I think the evil one heard the voice. He heard God say, this is my son. He knew who spoke that, and of whom he was speaking. And it seems to me the evil one said, oh, so you're here to continue the kingdom. You know what's ahead of you? Jesus of Nazareth? A Roman cross. I got a better way. Come with me. Let's talk about an alternative plan. And so he meets him here in the desert. Now, a couple of things to note. First of all, in the book of Exodus, When Israel came out of the Red Sea, it says Moses caused them to go out into the desert. In Mark it says, and the Spirit sent him, drove him into the desert. And so you begin to get the idea that Jesus' testing experience, I like to call it, is patterned after the story of the Exodus. They're both pushed into the desert, one by Moses, one by the Spirit. So there is a similarity there. The second thing to note is that Matthew and Luke both tell the story. But they have one difference. They don't disagree with each other, but Matthew has a different order than Luke. I think that Luke put his order the way he did because he wants to end in Jerusalem. So he has stones to bread, high mountain, temple in Jerusalem. Luke likes to begin and end in Jerusalem with his stories. Matthew, it seems to me, has a different reason for his order. And when you read Matthew's version, if I'm a first century Jew, I'm instantly back in the story of the Exodus. Let's look at Jesus' desert testing as Matthew describes it as framed by the book of Deuteronomy. Because I think his readers would have immediately made that link. Now, Deuteronomy, remember, is Moses' last will and testament, his last great speech to Israel. In it, he's addressing the community who are the children of the people who came out of Egypt. The people who came out of Egypt had gone into the desert, they failed many times, God blessed them many times. But because of the story of the spies and their lack of faith, God told them, you're not going to be the generation that gets there, but they had raised up a generation of children who were prepared. So apparently they taught them well, and therefore I'm not going to call them a failure. In Deuteronomy, Moses is teaching that generation, the one now that was raised up, ready to go, the lessons from their parents' experience. Imagine Moses the teacher, and he's got assembled in front of him the generation that has been raised up in the desert to be prepared to go into the Promised Land. And he now wants to teach them one last time the lessons your parents learned when they were in the desert. And in Deuteronomy 6 to 8, we have the key piece of that. In that section, Moses describes the three testings that God gave to that previous generation, or that he said they would face. First, remember the wilderness of sin. Remember it? We stood there under an acacia tree, hot that day, and we remembered how the Israelites a month out of Egypt got there and said, we want a banquet. Give us the food we crave. God tested them. And what was the lesson, Israel? Do you remember it? Here it is. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, including the word When there will be bread. Have you learned this, Israelites? Then you're ready to go into the land. There was a second testing. Come with me to Rephidim. you remember it? We're on the edge of a cliff overlooking the plain. And we saw Moses leave and go to Mount Horeb because there was no water. But this time, your parents tested God much more severely. They said, is he with us or not? first testing showed that they weren't fully committed to God with all their heart. This second one said, God, we're not willing to trust you with our lives until you prove yourself. Give us water. God was angry with them. What's the lesson? Do you remember? You shall not test the Lord your God. Put your life in his hands. And then, Israelites, your parents were told of one war testing to come. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, land with large and flourishing cities you did not build, houses with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and worship him only was the lesson that they were to learn when they arrived at the land. You must learn this lesson. Love God with all your strength. Jesus went to this desert. The evil one came, and at least as Matthew frames it, the same three tests show up. The evil one gets him here 40 days and nights. 40 days and nights are impossible without eating or drinking, which is what Jewish fasting was. Therefore, one would be miraculously sustained. But Jesus was hungry, like Israel. And the evil one came and said, hey, you can make bread. This would make quite a loaf of bread. Go ahead, since you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, do it. And I imagine Jesus saying, no. I learned the lesson of Moses' teaching. Mary, my mother, Joseph, my father, taught me. Now, I realize Jesus could have quoted that passage in his divine nature. Maybe he did, but I like to think of him as a man like me, too. And I see Jesus thinking, you know what? I know what to tell him. My ancestors learned, evil one, you shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, including the word, when there will be bread. I'm going to love him with all of my heart, even though my ancestors had a divided heart. The evil one said, then come with me. Now, in the case of the children of Israel, God brought them on eagle's wings to Mount Sinai. So the devil took Jesus to the wing, it says in Greek, of the temple, we say pinnacle. I think wing would would be a very good translation. As if to say, you remember those wings? Come with me. Let's stand on the wing of the temple. The writer wants you to think wing, even though no one knows what the wing actually was. And when he got him there, he said, let me quote you from Scripture. He chooses Psalm 91. Earlier verses before the devil's quote say, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will take refuge. The devil knew what he was doing. You're on the wings of the temple. I'm quoting from a passage that talks about wings. Make God show you his wings. And the passage says, and the devil misquotes it as he always does. The passage says, the passage says, he will give a command to his angels keep you in all your ways but the devil left that phrase out he will give his angels a command concerning you the devil quoted he will lift you up with his hands and keep you from striking your foot against a stone and what he left out was God's promise is if you're on your ways in other words if you're walking the ways of God God says I will protect you not if you do something crazy like jumping off the temple. But the devil left that verse out. And Jesus thought, I see him as a man. God, yes. But I mean, his human nature thinking, I know that lesson. The devil wants me to make God prove himself before I go to the cross. To show that he will protect me. He wants me to stand up there and gain attention. And prove that God is with No. To the same lesson in Deuteronomy. You shall not test the Lord your God, evil one. I learned that from my ancestors. Then the devil took him to a high mountain, <coughs> probably the same high mountain Moses was taken to. He said, You see it? You can have it all. Now it wasn't the devil's to give, according to the book of Daniel devil's asking him to sell out on God. But what he's saying is, use your power. I'll give it to you. Do it yourself. That cross is going to hurt. And Jesus said, I remember the third lesson in Deuteronomy. He quotes Moses' conclusion. Worship the Lord your God when you get to the land and have all this stuff and serve him alone. the devil. I will not serve you no matter what you offer. So what is the binder that binds the three tests together in Matthew? I think you're recognizing it. Because in that same Deuteronomy 6 to 8 section (laughs) that talks about all those tests is the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So, I oh, am right And the three tests showing How the first generation Didn't In other words Jesus came to do What Israel At least the first generation Had failed to do And he loved God With all his heart All his soul All his money. He kept the Shema. I don't think that was the end of Jesus' temptations. I think he was tempted all three tests again and again. His family came. They wanted to take him home. Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. Jesus said, who is my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, those who do my will. And he put God even ahead of his family. Love God with all his heart. Somebody said, Herod wants to kill you. I want to kill you in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, God wants me to go to Jerusalem. If I go and I'm to die, my soul is in his hands. People want to make him king. We can have it all. And he says, let's go away. I think that test repeated itself in his life, again and again. And you
2: know what else? I think he tested...
0: Uh Uh-oh. Well, let's see if we can finish this.
1: People want to make him king! He can have it all! And he says, let's go away. I think that test repeated itself in his life, again and again.
2: And you know what else? <laughs> I think he tested.
0: Uh-oh. Well, let me see real quick if I can get the rest of this. If not, we've heard the we've heard the good stuff anyhow. So <laughs> um, I don't know the key to that.
1: I think he tested.
0: All right, one, one more try.
1: <clears throat> his family came. They wanted to take him home. Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. Jesus said, Who is my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, those who do my will? And he put God even ahead of his family. Love God with all heart. Somebody said, Herod wants to kill you. They want to kill you in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, God wants me to go to Jerusalem. If I go and I'm to die, my soul is in his hands. People want to make him king. He can have it all. test repeated itself in his life again and again. And you know what else? I think he tested his disciples. In the gospel it says there was a crowd of 5,000. Jesus said to test them, feed them. I think he expected them to say Jesus, all we've got is one lunch. We're going to need you on this one. But you can do it. You're the Messiah. eight months wages wouldn't give each person a mouthful. What are we to do? They failed the test. Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die and on the third day be raised. And Peter pulled him aside and said, don't say this. Jesus said, Peter, no, no. I will put my life in God's hands. You must too. They would deny it failed the test. Over and over again they said, Lord, is it now you give the kingdom to Israel? Are we going to have it all now? They didn't love it with all their might. But Jesus did. How about you? You see, Jesus was tempted and tested, in my opinion, first as the second animal first Adam failed. I failed too. How about you? So Jesus came to say, I'll, I'll do it for you. Jesus was tested and passed because he is the eternal son of God, the sinless One. I believe this. But there's a verse that says, if you claim to be in him, walk as Jesus walked." Meaning you will be tested too. So do you love him with all your heart? Or is there some part of your life you shut him out of? Is there a relationship he's not part of? Is he in your business? In your classroom? With your friends on Friday night? Or have you loved him with all your heart? And included him in everything? How about your life? Have you put your life in his hands? You want me to love him no matter what the cost? It's easy in America. We don't pay what some pay around the world to follow Jesus. But so will you pay the price? Loss of friends. Reputation, business. You love him with all your soul. How about you right? You're in a mad pursuit after stuff to <coughs> drive you buy and sell and accumulate and have you want to do it all and you love him with every else you've got, depending on his provision I think Jesus' testing is not simply this spectacular demonstration that he is the Messiah to do what Israel failed to do. I think it's also a ringing challenge to say, Live Shua," As the Jew calls it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And our Rabbi who came to bring the kingdom heard the cry of the oppressed, and added, as an equal command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, I think, the call that Jesus testing brings to us. Be careful how you criticize Israel. Yes, they failed. Though I would argue they raised up a generation that was prepared But out of their failure came teaching that Jesus claimed and beat the devil with it. And then he said to his disciples, be like me. Learn to claim the same teaching. All your heart, all your soul, all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And then but little, by the grace of God, his power, the kingdom comes. Say with me in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.
0: Okay. Um, that's good stuff. I, I am, a, I'm a note taker, and usually when I watch something or go to a conference or something, I take notes. I try to take notes in outline form. That's just kind of how my brain works. And so as I watched this, um, you know, I kind of had an outline structure and was able to follow what he was doing, but. I really try to only write down really good, important things, and I found myself writing a whole lot. It's just really jam-packed. So uh, we only have a few minutes, but I just wanted to first open it up to any kind of reflection. Um, Was there anything in here that you really heard that made a strong impression or that uh, really uh, struck a nerve with you or maybe something you disagreed with? Is there anything you just want to share and reflect back after hearing this?
2: I I don't. I've ever heard the connection with uh, Israel crossing the Red Sea experiencing what Jesus mm-hmm. experienced. I, I don't know if I've ever heard the connection between what Jesus experienced in the wilderness was similar to what the Israelites experienced.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a great, great parallel in the story. Um, I have heard, I, I don't think I've heard the the testing part. I have heard uh, people talk about um, when the Israelites walk through the Red Sea, and ultimately when they're going into the Promised Land and across the Jordan. That that in in some fashion is a communal baptismal experience, where they're passing through water and then come out a new creation, uh, claimed as God's people. And so you know you have to take some 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 liberties there. But when you're trying to look at a text from a lit from a literary um, point of view. It, it does work as a baptism of sorts. But yeah, the, the temptation of Israel as a nation and their failings in that um, is, is an interesting perspective for sure. Any, along those lines, any other parallels that you heard there that were new to you or interesting?
2: He juxtaposed Jesus with the Israelites and saying that Jesus learned obedience to a suffering whereas the Israelites just rebelled right. and thought about You know my life and
1: people I know, and where that—I guess—where your heart is when you go into a struggle, um, kind of predicts where you're going to come out of it too. Yeah. Would I would I learn obedience to that suffering? Probably not. I'd be saying, "What the heck is going on?"
0: Right.
2: Who do I need to hit? You know.
0: Yeah. yeah, Right. Just just the concept that Jesus had to learn obedience is you know is is a strong enough concept for us to try to get our heads around but um yeah the w- the way you know Israel fails in their testing Jesus succeeds so <clears throat> not only is you know I, what I took away from that along those lines was not only does the temptation of the desert or testing in the desert happen to prove Jesus um being the messiah but there's there's another purpose there which is he is doing something that we as the people of God were unable to do, and so uh, you know there. And then when you lo- look ahead to the cross, there are different theories of atonement. We don't have to get into all of that today, but um, there's the, the theory of substitutionary atonement, where Jesus essentially takes our place. And so um, from from that perspective, that's that's essentially what Jesus is doing in in the testing. Is he's taking our place? He's standing in because we fail with with. Uh, Temptation sometimes, not not always. Sometimes we do okay, but we can't ever be that perfect uh, person. And so Jesus stands in for us and says, "This is how to do it." Um, and so also, there's a discipleship um, facet to that too, in that we can look at how Jesus lived and pattern our lives after that, knowing, you know, we're we're going to fall short, but this is the way. God would have us live. We can look at Jesus for that.
2: There's a theme that he uh, described throughout Scripture, which was uh, and I've heard it before but it just came home to me as this this uh, chaos experience mm-hmm. and then kind of through the water comes the dove or piece of symbolism and then shalom. And highlighting those things through Scripture and then the coming of Jesus was just like oh, this is the ultimate through chaos right. comes the descending right. of
0: the dove, beast, and the pursuit of Shalom yeah. yeah, all the way back to the creation story where God's spirit hovers above the waters and of course, you know, in ancient culture, the waters and the seas were always a little bit symbolic of the unknown and chaos and so, yeah, there's that pattern that repeats there's the water, the chaos God's spirit comes and hovers in the form of a dove or just directly so, his uh, spirit. Uh,
2: for me, it is to stay stuck in the chaos and to be kind of frustrated and disappointed and maybe uh, angry and mm-hmm. just curious. <laughs> you know, well, what's this all about? Why, right. why can't we get this right? Right. And then the reminder, well, well Jesus is getting it right. Hold on to that, embrace his pursuit right, because he is the ultimate peace giver. Right.
0: Yeah, it, it is good. Yeah, Paul.
2: Uh, heard Ben a lot, and he, he continually comes up with these parallels, parallels things that just I never considered.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. I uh, where he gets all of them. Uh
0: uh-huh. huh. Right. With well, things like this. Yeah, I think a lot of them he borrows from other scholars and theologians, but I think some just comes from his own creativity and the fact that he's there on site in Israel a lot and new things open up. Uh, But I I will say this, and we'll kind of draw it to a close because we're past time, but uh, when you... You know, we are very familiar with the gospel story, just the narrative of Jesus' life. I think that's very familiar to us. We are also fairly familiar with the narrative of God's people in the Old Testament and the whole Exodus story. Um, Although sometimes I think it would help us (laughs) if we dug into that a little bit more. But there are uh, untold parallels in those two stories, especially in the gospel of Matthew, which Ray kind of alluded to. You know, Matthew is writing to a Jewish uh, audience, And so his gospel is just full of allusions to the Exodus story. And it would be almost impossible for a Jewish person to sit down and read his gospel and not be immediately drawn back into the story. So um, I say all that to say this. The next time you read a gospel, which, of course, doesn't take very long, you can sit down and read uh, even Luke, the longest one, in, in maybe two or three hours. You can sit down and read the whole thing. So next time you read a gospel... Uh, the whole time be thinking back to the exodus story and the next time you read it's a little bit longer to read the whole entire exodus story but the next time you read anything from the Pentateuch you know the first five books of the Old Testament any part of that exodus narrative all the way from creation uh, through Joshua you can if you kind of think now how is this foreshadowing Jesus you know what and the more you do that, the more you bounce between those two stories, the more those parallels open up. And it really enriches both stories. Uh, the former uh, really becomes a predecessor to what God is doing in the world, to how God is always redeeming his people and ultimately does through Jesus. Um, and, of course, the Jesus story becomes a little bit more rich, too, when you have when you have that background. So um, I would encourage you not to necessarily read, you know, Mark and then read Matthew and Luke and see those parallels there and what's different what's the same and what can we learn but go all the way back to the Old Testament and find find those parallels that Ray is doing here that it's, it's it, it really enriches um, your understanding of the gospel so all right thank you for being here uh, next week Steve Sherman will be here to push play hopefully it won't hopefully it work for
2: well. him